Our scripture this morning is John 10, verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon, is it insane? Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of our Lord this morning. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. What is going on? What is that all about? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 10. We're looking at verses 1 through 21. I want to welcome those of you that are on YouTube Live right now. Thank you for joining us. Believe is our current teaching series, The Gospel According to John. And of course, the title of this weekend's message is The Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd. Also grab your sermon notes out and you can follow along. It is not a very flattering metaphor of us when the Bible refers to us as sheep and God as our shepherd. Those sheep are very valuable to the shepherd. They are also dumb, defenseless, diseased, distracted, and driven animals, and therefore are desperate to be in a sheepfold led by a good shepherd. And uh, in fact, what's interesting when you study this idea, this metaphor, human beings are called sheep some 400 times in the Bible. I think he's trying to get a point across to us? Yeah, absolutely. God is called a shepherd about 100 times in the Bible. Therefore, it is an important way for us to know who God is and who we are in relationship with God. 
So sheep are, are very dumb. So when, it, when we talk about sheep, he's talking about us, and the Bible is saying we are very dumb in, in so many different ways. If one sheep goes over a cliff, all his friends will follow. It's almost as if they're saying to themselves, that doesn't look so bad as they, <laughs> as they fall to their death. That was a bad joke, wasn't it? You're going to get some really bad dad jokes here today, okay? So hang in there with me. So sheep are dumb. Sheep are defenseless. Have you ever heard of a killer sheep on the loose? Look out! Those sheep, they're devouring everybody. No, it's not going to happen. And they're very diseased. When a sheep get a wound, they can't care for themselves like other animals. And they're very distracted. They're very easily led astray and very easily go astray from the flock. I mean, all these characteristics, just look around in our world today. We are, we are sheep, and that's a fact. And uh, sheep are very driven. That's why it says in the 23rd Psalm that the shepherd must make us lie down in green pastures and lead us beside still waters <laughs> because we're so driven. And so the events in this uh, first half of this chapter, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, took place right after the casting out of the man who was healed of his blindness. Well, the teachings in the last half we'll, we'll look at next week, verses 22 through 42, took place about two to three months after this, later from this, what, what he's talking about here. And the entire chapter is tied together by the metaphor of the shepherd and his sheep. So what you see here in, in our verses, the first six verses gives us the metaphor, and the rest of it gives us the meaning to that metaphor. Let's take the metaphor. Verses one through six, here's your first fill in the blank on your notes. The true shepherd enters by the door. That's the point that he's making in verses 1 through 3a. Let me read those verses. If you have Bibles, you can follow along. If not, we got the Scriptures up on the screen. So truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. So the Old Testament, the, the whole Bible is about Jesus. You guys knew that. We talk about that all the time. The Old Testament predicted the coming of the Messiah, and the Old Testament predicted the coming of the Messiah. The New Testament presents the Messiah. In fact, uh, one of the predictions here, Ezekiel 34, 23, is a prophecy that the coming Messiah will be like a shepherd to his people. We also have some prophecies about John the Baptist. Malachi 3.1 prophesies that John the Baptist is the forerunner, who I happen to believe is the gatekeeper. So to him the gatekeeper opens. Jesus is talking about himself coming through the gate, the gate uh, being the prophecies of the Old Testament about uh, the promised Messiah, and now in the New Testament as he enters in, John the Baptist is pointing him out saying, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the gatekeeper opening up and saying, this is the one, this is the Messiah. Here's the second idea under this, this metaphor here. The true sheep hear his voice. That's the next fill in the blank. So the true shepherd enters by the door, and the true sheep hear his voice. Hear his voice. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning, 
but when this teaching series is over in about 10 years, we will, uh, okay, that was a joke, but we'll be finished up in October, and I'm going to do a teaching series on, on hearing the voice of God, and we'll use this text, because listen to what he says here as it relates to sheep hearing the voice of God. Verse 3b, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. Oh, that's beautiful. He, he knows us by name. He knows you by name. Personal, intimate relationship with you. And leads them out. And when he has brought out all his sheep, he goes before them. He leads the way. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will follow that but they, they they will flee from him. So a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So he's this is the the first first six verses are, are this metaphor, and then the rest, uh, verses seven on, he's, he explains the metaphor. So this is what you need to know as far as background here, because we don't know that much about sheep, do we? Anybody have sheep in their, in their yard? Any? Okay. The only thing we know about sheep is maybe we went to the Phoenix Zoo and petted one. But for the most part, we don't understand really this metaphor, the relationship of a shepherd to a sheep. And so Middle Eastern, uh, the Middle Eastern sheepfold was a stone wall about 10 feet high that surrounded the sheep, and there was just one entrance, that, which was the door uh, to that sheepfold. A shepherd would lead his sheep into the fold at nightfall, wouldn't dare keep them out on the open range, open field. But he would lead them into the sheepfold at nightfall along with other shepherds' sheep and leave the porter or the gatekeeper to stand guard at the, as, the, as the door of the fold. So there was the porter or the gatekeeper would literally lay down in front of the doorway or sleep in front of the doorway, not letting anyone come in or anything come in, any predator to come into the sheepfold. In the morning, each shepherd would call his own sheep, and they would recognize his voice and follow him. Now, anyone have a dog? When you call him, he comes to you. Show of hands. Show of hands. Okay. And that dog comes to you, but the dog will not go to a stranger. Anybody there? Or does your dog just go to anybody that comes up? And Okay, so he, yeah, there's, there's, he's got some confusion going on there. Anybody have a dog that when you call him, he does not come to you? Okay, that is an unchristian dog. Okay, let's talk about cats now. Anybody have a cat? You call the cat and it comes to you. No, it doesn't. No, it's because you put the food out. No, the cat actually comes to you? Could you would you tell my next door neighbor's cat to quit coming over in my yard and, and doing number two in my yard? That makes me so happy. Okay, it doesn't. So, okay, we're, I'm not going to talk anymore about cats. I'm, I'm really bitter towards cats right now. So anyway, you get the idea here. 
that the sheep hear his voice, he calls them out. And it's, it's really quite fascinating because you could have a number of sheep owned by different shepherds all come to the same fold, sheepfold, and, uh, and that the sheep hear his voice and follow him. They won't follow the other shepherd. Very unique, very interesting. Here's what you need to know about this idea that the true sheep hear his voice. Um, prayer is not a monologue. It's a dialogue of interaction with, with our good shepherd. So if you're just going and reciting your prayers, you're kind of missing really an important part of this, that he wants to speak to you as he does this morning. He wants to speak to you. He's speaking to you even now. Do you hear his voice? And so let me ask you this. Do you know the good shepherd's voice? And do you flee from the stranger's voice? I see a lot of Christians these days following after the stranger. And it's because they're not really familiar with the good shepherd's voice. So how do you, how do you become more familiar with the good shepherd's voice? Pretty simple. Read his word. Spend time in God's word. And, and, and you will become more and more familiar with the good shepherd's voice. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Now let's get into the meaning. Here we go. So, so the metaphor, the true shepherd enters by the door, the true sheep hear his voice. Now Jesus is going to give us a deeper understanding of this. And the next fill in the blank on your notes is that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd we desperately need. So he refers to himself as the good shepherd. That's verses 7 through 21, the rest of our text. This is the meaning. Now, a number of years ago, I, I heard the story of a couple who rode a tour bus through Israel's countryside, nearly mesmerized as the tour guide, included a heartwarming portrayal of the ancient shepherd-sheep relationship, how he feeds them and gently cares for them and doesn't need to be harsh to them because they hear his voice and follow him. And the tour guide explained how on a previous tour, things had backfired for him as he was giving this same speech about sheep and shepherds. He suddenly realized he had lost his audience, and they were all staring out the bus window at a guy driving a herd of sheep. Do you hear that? Driving a herd of sheep. He was throwing rocks at them, whacking them with sticks, being aggressive and abusive, and was literally doing what the tour guide was saying that shepherds do not do. So the guide stopped the bus, jumped off, and confronted the man to ask what in the world he was doing and that he had just finished telling the tour that this is not how shepherds treat their sheep. What's going on, demanded the tour guide, and the man responded, well, I'm not the shepherd, I'm the butcher. Jesus is not a butcher. If you're feeling driven and abused and hurt and angry, that's not Jesus. He doesn't condemn us. He's our good shepherd who loves us. The good shepherd who loves us. In fact, he lays down his life for us. Jesus is the good shepherd who lovingly leads, generously feeds, gently cares, and aggressively provides 
for his sheep. That's us. We're his sheep. And so it's, it's really important for us to understand that. So if you're feeling, feeling beat up, rushed, hurried, stressed, that's not coming from our good shepherd. He loves us. He leads us. He takes care of us. He provides for us. And uh, that's important to keep that in mind. Now, you can certainly go to churches these days and be around Christians that would almost convey the good shepherd like he's a butcher. And that would be a wrong characterization of the good shepherd. It's so important. This is Jesus explaining. This is who he is. So it's important that we understand that. And, and so there's three things here, I think, in this text. So Jesus is the good shepherd we desperately need. And here's the first thing. He is the way to our salvation. That's verse 6, the way to our salvation. That's the next fill in the blank on your notes. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now he's referring to himself as the door, really the door of salvation. You'll see that in verse 9. But John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I'm the door. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You want to have a relationship with God? It's only through Jesus. I am the way to Jesus. I am the truth. I am the way to the Father. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the truth about the Father, and I'm the very life of the Father that you can experience in your life. That's what he's saying. He's the way to our salvation. Here's the next one. He is the way to our sanctification. When you think of sanctification, think of this. Think of healing, health, wholeness, holiness. Look at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So that's more than escape from hell and enjoyment of heaven for all eternity. It really is about here and now, a relationship with God here and now where he sanctifies us. He brings healing, health, and wholeness, and ultimately holiness is what that's all about. He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There's the holiness. There's the wholeness. Psalm 23, 23rd Psalm, as you probably many of you know that, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Why? Because He restores my soul. Ezekiel 34, 14, talking about the Good Shepherd, the Messiah. So what it says, I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall, shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. So let me ask you this. Can you have wholeness in this broken world? Is it possible to have wholeness in this broken world? This is a pretty busted up world, would you agree? But can you have wholeness in this broken world? We did a four-part series at the beginning of this year that basically said, yeah, we titled it Wholeness in a Broken World. Yeah, yeah, you can. It'll never be perfect, but boy, that's where I want to head. And so wholeness or holiness is about being more like Christ. And so what is Christ like? So I was thinking about that. I was meditating on it this last week. And as we've been working our way through the Gospel of John, and really reflecting on it, this is what I came up with. This is what I wrote. Jesus Christ was the perfect picture of emotional, psychological, and relational health. He was loving to his enemies, a friend of sinners, and compassionate to the marginalized and outcast. 
He was steady in adversity, calm in crisis, and he spoke words of healing, hope, and rest to those who were hurting, despairing, and overwhelmed by life. Those who were closest to him longed to have the same intimate relationship he had with his father. Remember his disciples saying, teach us how to pray. We want to connect with the Father like you connect with the Father. That's what they were saying. They were like, oh, my goodness, how do you do that? His first miracle of turning water into wine at a wedding feast was evidence that he loved parties and people and was enjoyable to be around. There were certainly people who hated him, like the Pharisees. We see this over and over again. But those who loved him couldn't get enough of him. So that's what he wants us to be like, like him. So don't focus on being like him, focus on being with him, and you'll become like him. And this should be especially true for us fathers, both biological fathers and spiritual fathers. There's my Father's Day message right there. That's all you need. Follow Jesus. Be like Jesus, like the Good Shepherd. And, and we'll fall short of that, certainly, but it's, great. it's something great to aspire to as he continues to transform our lives. And then, he is, so he is the way to our salvation, sanctification, but here's the next one. He is the way to our satisfaction. He's the way to our satisfaction. John 10.10 has been, been the theme verse of Desert Breeze for 30 years. How long have you guys existed? 30 years. <laughs> Since the beginning. And... Uh, particularly the second half. The first part wouldn't make a very good slogan for a church, would it? The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Welcome to Desert Breeze. <laughs> what kind of a messed up place is this? Yeah, but it's, it's because being on the fire department for the years that I, I, I saw the thief kill, steal, and destroy. Continue to see him. All you got to do is turn on the news. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. It, it's evident all around us. And yet, in the middle of this devastation. We have a Savior, a good shepherd who loves us and pursues us and gives us a life overflowing, fullness of life. I found that really fascinating as I begin to meditate on it and think about that. Not that I haven't already for many years and have taught this many times, but the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He didn't come to be mean and nasty and hateful and to become a butcher or, or to give us a list of rules that we have to live by, and if we don't, he won't accept us, or any number of things like that. He came that we might have life and have it to the fullest. Do you hear that? That's why Jesus came to this earth, so that we could have life to its fullest or abundantly. That word abundantly, the the New Testament was written in the, what was known as the Koine Greek, everyday Greek language. So the Greek word here abundantly means superior, extraordinary, uncommon, remarkable. That should describe our lives. Superior, extraordinary, uncommon, remarkable. The word life here, there are two Greek words for life. We talked about this a few weeks, uh, probably about a month or so ago. And there's one word for life, it's bios, where we get the word biology. And it means temporal, external, physical. That's not the word he's using here. It's not bios, but it's zoe. Z-O-E. Zoe. And he's really talking of a quality 
of life or spiritual life. It's, it's eternal, this eternal life, this, um, this internal life of what he's wanting to do in your life. And so what we see over and over again in Scripture, and he's, even as he's talking about here, He's, he's wanting us to understand that your Zoe, your spiritual, your internal, your, your eternal life is extremely more important than your bios, your physical, your external, your temporal life. Now, we live in a culture today that's preoccupied with the bios. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no doubt. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I didn't come to give you more junk to add to your junk. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. We have a lot of great things, but that's not to be the focus of your life. You can have all those great things and not really have life is what he's saying. No, I came to give you life, superior, extraordinary, uncommon, remarkable, quality of life that all the money in this world cannot buy. That's what he's saying. So I started thinking about that. Okay. What does that mean, and, and how do I know that I'm really, that's what I want more than anything, and what is really that life? And so I, I begin to think about this question, and here's my question for you. Do you follow? Do you obey? Do you serve the good shepherd because he makes life better, bios, or because he is better than life. Zoe. And how would you know when hard times hit? When those things that you treasure more than him are threatened or blocked or lost, you're going to hit the eject button. You're going to go, I'm out of here. I did all of these things, and this is what I get from him. You're serving him for the wrong reason. Do you follow him, obey him, serve him because he makes life better or because he's better than life? I mean, he's better than anything you'll ever get in life. And so as I was thinking about this, what does that mean exactly? Well, this is what it means. It means intimacy with him. That's the better life. Is that regardless of what goes down in your life, bio, if you have him, you can face anything. I mean, think about this. We have him. Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. I know, I know. We live in a world today where we're all pursuing something, and we think that if I could just have that, I'm going to be filled with joy. I'm going to be happy. And, and for a time... But it's temporal. No, I'm telling you, when you have him, when you know him, when you walk with him, when you experience him, that's that Zoe kind of life that he came to give to us. How do I know that? What are some scriptures to back that up? Well, Psalm 4-7. Listen to what the psalmist says. You have put more joy in my heart than when their grain and new wine abound. All my friends have all the pleasures and possessions and positions in life, and yet I have greater joy than them. That's what he's saying. What is that greater joy? Psalm 1611, one of my favorite verses. In 
You have showed me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen to me. Intimacy with God is an enchanted reality in this horribly disenchanted world. That's what it is. That's the Zoe life that he came to give to us. There's nothing better. <laughs> this is what I love about the Christian life. I start every day cultivating that relationship with Christ. I couldn't go on throughout the day. I can't even finish out a week unless I'm doing that regularly and consistently. And I don't leave him there. He goes with me throughout the day as I interact with him and talk to him. And he speaks to me, and I hear his voice, and I follow him. Not real well at times. Sometimes he's got to get my attention through difficulties and hardship and conflict. And boy, does he get my attention. I go, oh, my goodness, yeah, thank you for that. Praise God. You got my attention now. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to honor you in response to what I have in you. I don't serve, obey, follow him to get his love. I have his love. Therefore, I serve, obey, and follow him. That's the Christian life. The good shepherd is better than any pleasure. My wife and I were invited to one of the small groups this last week to a luau. It was a lot of pleasure, a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, a lot of great food. It was a blast but not as much pleasure as we find in Christ. In fact, because they're Christians, it kind of makes it even better. It's like, woo, that's good. He brings pleasure. The good shepherd is better than any pleasure and bigger than any problem. What are you facing? He's bigger. He's for you. He won't let you down. He will see you through those difficulties. So how does the good shepherd accomplish all of this? Here's the next point. He freely lays down his life for us. Now, notice with each of these following verses, I mean, each one, he, he just keeps repeating it. So I think, obviously, Jesus is trying to get a point across here. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for the sheep. By the way, all the other shepherds out there, Joseph Smith, Muhammad, all the other leaders of all the major cults and religions of our world today, they did not lay down their life for their sheep. This is the only belief system where the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Check it out. The God of the galaxies came down to this earth to lay down his life for us, to rescue us, to redeem us. Verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Laying down his life is crucifixion. Taking it up again is what? Resurrection, absolutely. Verse 18, now he says it twice in this verse. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, Jesus was not murdered or assassinated, but voluntarily laid down his life for us. He was, but he wasn't. He was not a victim. He voluntarily laid down his life for us. Yeah, that's, and it's important. That's what he's saying right here. 
It is called substitutionary atonement. That's the theological understanding, substitutionary atonement. So when we baptize folks, what are they doing? They're identifying with the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that atonement, at one moment, he brought us and he reconciled us back to the Father. The gospel is the good news that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son to die in our place for our sins and all who repent and believe in him have everlasting life. That is an amazing, <laughs> amazing deal. You don't ever want to pass that up. You want to give your life to him. And so it will cost you to follow Jesus. But it is nothing compared to what it cost Jesus to make eternal life available to you. And it is nothing compared to the cost of not following Jesus. It was not nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It was his love for us. So here's the primary reason he freely laid down his life for us. It's the next fill in the blank. Here it is. So that we can enter into an intimate relationship with him. We've talked about that. So look at verses 14 through 16. I am the good shepherd. Now notice this. He's really speaking language of intimacy here. I know my own and my own know me. Not just knowledge about them. It's interaction. It's intimacy. It's relating. Remember, intimacy with God is mutual giving and receiving of love and truth. So Jesus is the only, the only shepherd that knows what it is like to be a sheep. So he can relate to us. He identifies with us. He loves us. Let me continue reading. Just as the Father knows me and I know him and I lay down my life for the sheep. Do you hear that? He's talking about the level of intimacy he has with the Father. He's inviting us into that same level of intimacy. That is amazing. That's spectacular. I want that. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Who's the other sheep he's talking about? Us. Yeah, the nations, the Gentile nations. Because he's talking to Jews here, and that's part of the fold he's talking about here. But he's saying, no, this is going to be opened up for all people. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so we know that based on Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both have access, both meaning Jew and Gentile, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. There is one flock, but there are many folds. So Desert Breeze Community Church is, is a fold within the bigger flock of the Christian faith. And so knowing him is more than just having knowledge about him. It's interacting with him. It's knowing him. It's experiencing him, experiencing his love and truth, his love and his truth. Truth brings freedom to your life. Love chases away the fears, and truth brings freedom to our lives as we interact with him. Now, if you are a sheep in the flock of the good shepherd but not a part of a healthy sheepfold, then you will inevitably be taken out by the wolves in this world or the coyotes in life. And I use that because my mom had a small flock of sheep in her pasture. I grew up right over here off of 35th Avenue and Union Hills irrigated property. My parents had two and a half acres. And uh, there for a while she had about six or seven sheep in her pasture along with a ram. 
And coyotes would come in there, but the ram would take them out until one time about a half dozen coyotes came in and took the ram down, ate the back half of him. Yeah, pretty ugly scene. And so these uh, sheep were prey to those coyotes. And so the good shepherd, my sister, stayed up all night with her bow watching those sheep, and sure enough, those coyotes came in and tried to take out those sheep, and she kept the coyotes away until the next day we could load those sheep up and put them into a place where they were more protected. Pretty interesting. Now, if we would have had a, a sheep fold there in that acre, we would have put them in night, at night and put them in there, and then certainly they'd have to have a, something over the top because those coyotes can jump over those fences. Have you ever seen coyotes jump over fences? Oh, my goodness. They jump over those things like they're nothing. And so that would have protected them. But I'm telling you, if you're not part of a fold where there's an under-shepherd under Christ Jesus, an under-shepherd that's a good shepherd watching over you, I'm telling you, you're going to be taken out. You will be taken out. I see, people, I see this happen all the time. People think, I can be a Christian and not be a part of a local church family, not a good Christian, and probably you're going to be taken out. More than likely, you will. You need to be a part of a healthy church family, a sheepfold where people love you and will take care of you and be there for you. And so that's, that's important. And so here's the warning. Here's the warning. Here's the next point on your notes. This is why we need to be aware of this. And this, he's really making this clear. The thieves and robbers. Who are the thieves and the robbers that he's talking about here? I, I believe uh, this, there's a number of interpretations here, but here's one of the main ones. And the next, it's the next fill in the blank on your notes. Major cults and religions who denied Christ. Because they get into the fold by jumping over the fence. They don't come through the doorway. They're not coming through Jesus. This is what it says in 1 John 2, through 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Did you know that every major cult and religion in our world today denies Christ? They do not believe in the deity of Christ. I'm not trying to be mean. A lot of people say, oh, that's so mean for you to say that. Well, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you the truth. They deny Christ, and the Bible says that that's the liar. If you deny Christ, you are the liar. This is the Antichrist. Now, there will be an Antichrist, but this is the spirit of the Antichrist, to deny Christ. He who denies the Father and the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So let's look at the verses here. Back to our text. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief. The word thief here in the Greek literally means stealing by deception. And a robber, the Greek there, is stealing by violence and intimidation. Interesting. Verse 8, all who come before me are thieves and robbers. He's talking about the previous chapter of the Pharisees. He's referring to the Pharisees. By the way, they were the religious leaders of their day. They were highly esteemed. These people know God. He's saying, no, they don't. They're thieves and robbers. He's going to describe them as hirelings in a little bit, too. And so, no, these are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. And then, of course, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, thieves and robbers can also be predators in the fold. We've had predators come into our church before, and we've had to get rid of them. We've had to chase them off. That's why you have a board of elders. 
That's why it's important to watch over the flock, the sheep. So it can be predators in the fold. It also can be leaders who use deception, false accusations, half-truths, fear and intimidation to bully and control people to get them to do what they want them to do. And what breaks my heart is that there are those that I've, I've come in contact with that they have defected from the faith. There are many sheep who have scattered because of bad spiritual leadership, because of leaders who were thieves and robbers instead of true shepherds. And I believe spiritual abuse is the worst. So think about this. I want you guys to be prepared for this. Here's how spiritual abuse comes. This is being manipulative, controlling, deceptive, unloving, and divisive. Any one of those or all of those, all in the name of God. So the person says, no, I'm, I'm acting in behalf of God. This is what God is telling me. No, I'm living according to God and His Word. They'll even have proof text to kind of back them up. And I'm telling you, it will spin your head around. It will lead you astray. My wife and I were part of a church for a while that was... The guy was very manipulative and controlling and used all of that in the name of God. No, this is about making disciples. I said, that's not discipleship. He defined discipleship completely contrary to what I'd ever defined it. And it kind of snuck up on us because he would use the same language, but then when I started pushing him for the definition of that language, I began to realize that's not how the Bible actually defines it. That's not, not how I understand it. And he, what was crazy about it, he did it in the name of God. I saw people leave that and never want to go back to God because they thought, if that's how God is, I'm out of here. That's messed up. That's why you got to know God's Word. And so, just keep that in mind. The next one is hired hands. Leaders who are in it for themselves. Look at verses 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Hired hands are about scattering the sheep. They don't give a rip about the sheep. They're in it for themselves. He flees because he is a hired hand and, and cares nothing for the sheep. Now listen to what, Je what the Old Testament says about shepherds that are more like hirelings, Jeremiah 23, 1, woe to you shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Ezekiel 34, 3 through 4, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. He's talking about these shepherds, these bad shepherds. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the stray the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So there's different degrees of, of, of all of that. So what's, what's the difference between a shepherd and a hired hand? It's the difference between a calling and a job. The difference between a calling and a job. Parents Listen to me. Your child is throwing up and screaming for you at 2 o'clock in the morning. Let me ask you this question. Is that a calling or a job? It's a calling. If it was a job, you punch the clock at 10 and the kid's on his own, okay? 
He's in bed. He can deal with it. He can only throw up and scream at me between 8 o'clock in the morning and 5 o'clock at night. Because I'm punching the clock at 5 o'clock at night. You're on your own. Yeah, it's, it's a... It's a calling. A calling is a lifestyle. That's why they have to pay you to show up to a job, okay? And a calling you'll do for free. My son worked for Circle K, and he was downtown area, and he was, he was like a second job, kind of pay off some debt and stuff like that. And I go, man, that's kind of crazy. And he, he said that they told him, you will be robbed. That's a fact. So don't try to protect Circle K. Just let them have it. I mean, just let them have the product. Don't let them have it, but let them have, <laughs> let them have the product. And so my son was robbed, and he helped them take the product out to their car. <laughs> said, hey, put away the gun. You don't need to use a gun. Here, let me help you. No, he didn't actually do that. But he just said, he'd just say, okay, yeah, have a good day. Why is that? Because it's not a calling, it's a job. You're not going to lay your life down for Circle K. Usually it was a beer run. These guys would come in and steal a bunch of beer and, and run out. And he, he just said, that's it. You're not going to do that. But listen to me, a shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. He's not going to cut and run. When it gets tough, he's not going to cut and run. Listen to what it says, the kind of shepherds that we should be. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. It says, So I exhort the, the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not as a job, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge, in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, you know, so how do you know between the two? Well, how leaders respond to church problems and conflict reveals their heart of whether they are a hired hand or a true under-shepherd of the good shepherd. How do they respond to conflict? Are they going to cut and run? Are they dividers? Or are they uniters? What about you? Are you a divider? Are you divisive? Are you a uniter? Are you about reconciliation? Are you about truth and forgiveness and love and reconciliation? That would be a uniter. And here's the last group. The religiously confused. It's all rules, ritual, and routine without relationship. Last fill in the blank. Verses 19 through 21. There was again a division among the Jews because of their words, of these words. And many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So the religiously confused, that's what he's dealing with here. You don't want to be taken out by the religious people who it's all form and no substance. Listen to what 2 Timothy 3.5 says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. People that are just checking the church box, going through the motions. They have no intimate relationship with Christ. So if you 
follow a leader or a person more than you follow Jesus, you will be taken out by one of these. That's a fact. I'm here to plead with you. Let's together follow the good shepherd. Praise God. I mean, we need to do that together. Let's look to him. Let's follow him. Let's know him. Let's walk with him. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here this morning and you've never made a commitment of your life to Jesus, the Good Shepherd, I would encourage you to do that. You do that by acknowledging your sin that separates you from God, believing that Christ died on the cross for your sins and then confessing Him as Savior and Lord, giving your life to Him and and if you do that this morning, we welcome, welcome you to take communion with us as believers in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our good shepherd and laying down your life for us so that we can have an intimate relationship with you and experience salvation, sanctification, and satisfaction in you. Help us. May we not become robbers and thieves and hired hands and religiously confused and help us to gently restore those who have Jesus, there is no good shepherd like you. You call us by name. You lead us and go before us. Help us to hear your voice more clearly and follow you more consistently, we pray in your beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. There's three stations up here. Make your way up to one of the stations, and they'll hand out to you the communion elements and take it back to your seat, and then we will walk, go back through the process. I'll walk you through the process. First thing that comes to mind when we take communion always for me is that uh, it reminds me that you and I are more sinful than we ever dared to think. We were so sinful, Jesus had to die for us. There's no other way we could be reconciled to the Father. So that immediately should humble us. We should never have an attitude of superiority like we're better than anybody else. That'll eliminate that completely. But it also tells us, you don't want to stop there, it also tells us that you and I are more loved, we are more loved than we ever dared to think. He loved us so much he wanted to die for us. He loved us so much he wanted to die for us. And that should give you a confidence. You should never feel inferior to anybody or any situation or anything. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, the apostle Paul wrote, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. So next weekend, Life Without Lack, 
place where the grass truly is greener. And we're going to talk more about the Good Shepherd and what he provides for us and how we can more, even more, live that life to its fullest. John chapter 10, verse 22 through 42, we'll finish up the chapter. If you're here this morning and you are new, we'd love to meet you. I'll be up at the front at the end of the service. And if you need prayer, love to pray with you. If you have any questions, we'd love to try to answer those questions for you. Let me bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.